Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is Newer Kid Y checking in. I hope you guys are doing well out there. My guest this week is Alex Wood. Alex is an awesome comedian. He's also host of the podcast, Alex Wood Quits Everything. Uh, it's a really cool episode. The premise of his podcast is basically he quits a bunch of different substances and vices um, every month and makes an episode and pretty much tells what it's like. Uh, he goes into it in the podcast and explains a lot about addiction. It's really cool. Uh, please like, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating, please. That really helps with the algorithms. And uh, yeah, maybe check me out on social media. Huh? Give a little newer kid why a follow on the old Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, all those fun stuff. YouTube, I'm on that bad boy as well. So I'm going to be posting tons more uh, clips of this podcast and uh, you can get to know the guests more and a bunch of other stuff. And, and my comedy, I'll throw down a few jokey poos. You guys like those. Uh, but anyways, let's get into this episode. Guys, this week's guest. Alex Wood. Welcome Hello. to another uh, episode of God, Yay or Nay. Today my guest is comedian and host of Alex Wood Quits Everything, Alex Wood. Alex, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, thanks for having me on, buddy. Oh, dude, I'm so happy to have you. Uh, like I said, my podcast, and one of the main themes I try to do for it is self-transformation and uh, basically what you've done with your life over the last, last half decade you must feel like a completely transformed person. Uh, am I right with that? Yeah, I do for the most part. It's strange. I mean, I don't want to be too pretentious here, especially because it's just a pop song, but I was just listening to it last night, and that uh, the Wallflowers song, One Headlight, where he says, man, I ain't changed, but I know I ain't the same. I was like, oh, that's how I feel. Because <laughs> I still feel like me, but I have taken huge changes in my life. So I, I am very different, but I still feel like me, which is nice because I think a lot of people are afraid of change because they're like, well, I don't want to become someone else. You'll still be you, just a different version of you. Yeah, that's actually a very uh, deep uh, saying, actually. You will still be you because uh, you want that same self of like who you are kind of still there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so let's uh, let's uh, give a background then, man. So uh, you do this podcast, Alex Wood Quits Everything. So basically, it's like every month you quit a different substance. Uh, can you give us like maybe a little bit of a background of like what stuff you quit uh, so far for my audience? Yeah, so in season one, because I was already off of hard drugs and alcohol when I started the podcast, I realized I was uh, an addict because I got pancreatitis uh twice in the same year from uh alcohol abuse and then um <laughs> and then i was like okay well i'll still do hard drugs every now and again and then kind of just <laughs> ramp, ramp those up a lot too which i've always had a problem with so then i i quit everything all the hard shit in uh it was december 2015 i quit drinking and then december 2016 i quit the hard drugs so then the podcast started April 2017, and that's when I quit uh, weed, caffeine, biting my nails, red meat, dairy, social media, gossip, porn, sugar, my smartphone, credit cards, and uh, yeah, there was each staggered, so I'd quit one a month, and they all continued over. Yeah, that is, uh, that's like impressive, and like uh, your whole thing was like, that when you started this podcast, there was no relapses, right? Are you going to like stop the podcast? Was that how it kind of went? Yes, which I don't think was the best idea, to be frank, because I think that sends the wrong message about recovery and quitting things. Like you're you're going to relapse. You're going to all of the things I just named right now. I'm I still have a smartphone again. I'm on social media way too much. I was quitting them to get some of them out of my life permanently, like cigarettes. I still haven't had a cigarette since the podcast, and that's great. 
but since the podcast ended, I, I was a pothead again for like a, a good year after the podcast ended, and now I'm back off. I, I think the podcast was a bad expectation to put on myself. Like you quit and you don't and you don't uh, fall or slip one single time, and that's not right. Nobody does that. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. I thought that would be like that's pretty damn fucking tough to like, especially when you're like bringing in stuff like social media and like uh, gossip and uh, what porn was in there. Wasn't porn in there? Porn was in there too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which again, back on the porn train. <laughs> too much. I was doing so well. I was off. I was off porn and everything. I mean, most of the list I was still off, and then the pandemic hit. And a breakup hit at the same time, and uh, specifically for porn, that is quite difficult to stay off when you're newly single and can't leave the house. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right, I want to go back then to like 2015. So this is a year where I guess you kind of like uh, figured out like, okay, like, I think you went down to a really dark year in 2015, and then by the end of it, this is from me listening to your podcast, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, by the end of it, this is, like, when you're, like, I need to, like, make some changes. So, like, can you give us a little uh, little insight into what happened uh, during 2015, how your life uh, was? Yeah, well, in February, I relapsed on cocaine, which was sort of the first substance I realized I have a problem with. Before I realized the problem was actually just me, when I kept like thinking it's just one substance at a time, like, all right, I got a problem with cocaine, but getting hammered drunk six, seven nights a week is fine. <laughs> and then, uh, so I, I relapsed on cocaine for the first time in like two years, close to two years in February of that year. And it was weird because I didn't even have very much that night. It was uh, only a few lines that I, I got handed a, a baggie at a strip club. And then... Of course, I like went around the strip club just like asking every table, and then I got kicked out. And I even asked the bouncers like as they were kicking me out. I was like, "I'll give you fucking two hundred bucks if you can just." They were like, "I not happy about that." And then I even like went around the street. Like I went to like the all night diners. I was like, "Man, anyone at a diner this late has some blow." And I just when I came to the next morning, I was just like, "I mean, it really crystallized." I was like, "This is fucked. Like this isn't." something I want to continue to do. And I kind of started thinking about it more and more. And I was like, well, what do I even enjoy about cocaine anymore? And I realized I was like, it's literally just the physical feeling of it going up my, that's all I like now is the burn on my nose uh, or the drops at the back of my throat. Like, that's all I like. I, I don't like the feeling anymore even because I, I, that's it. It's just the substance. And that's kind of how I get with all substances towards the end where I'm like, there's nothing I like about it. The only thing I enjoy, I even got there with alcohol, I was like, when the whiskey hits the back of your throat and you get that sting, like, that's that's it. Um, or the first drink where it starts coursing through your veins. Mm-hmm. Outside of it, I'm not even really enjoying this whole thing anymore. So the rest of the year, though, I kept drinking and doing other drugs after the Coke thing because I didn't realize. And then it was just everything, too, like... Uh, I had uh, an abscess, which they gave me some perks and some oxys for it. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I've always kind of had opioid moments, but I started like definitely abusing those again. I didn't use them for my abscess. I saved them till the abscess healed and then just started. uh, I only had like uh, a prescription for like two weeks worth, but I just had a couple binges with them instead and, and used them while I drank. And then a lot of magic mushrooms, too. Uh, and I'm, I'm a notorious pothead. I, uh, this is all, all the time. Like, I mean, I don't even really count that. I'm was smoking weed 24 mm-hmm. seven and then pack a day cigarettes. And I got pancreatitis in the spring, which is pancreatitis is an inflammation of your pancreas. So the doctor was like, yo, you got to quit drinking for, he said that too. He's like, yo, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, sounds like a doctor right there. Yeah. Yo guy. Um, so <laughs> The doctor told me that you have to quit drinking for at least a year. And even when you come back, it's got to be like a glass of wine with dinner. You're that guy now. And I remember thinking like, yeah, like I got into it. I was like, I should be like, I'm 28 now. It makes sense. And, and then, yeah, <laughs> that didn't last. Uh, it was about three weeks to a month. I was off while I was taking the antibiotics for my pancreas. 
And yeah, I, I just I got the abscess on my uh, on my tailbone, and uh, I don't know. I probably just used that as an excuse. I didn't have any tools to quit drinking. I just thought I would do it. I didn't ask for any help, and all of these things. So then after that, I just started drinking again. And I, I, I kind of took it seriously, though. I was like, okay, but I don't want pancreatitis again. Like, it hurts. It really hurts. Mm. And I was like, so I'll go easy. And that was kind of like, for me, going easy is like, okay, I'll have like six beers a night. And then no more shots, basically. Uh, that, lasted, <laughs> that lasted maybe a month, month and a half. And then eventually, I just went back to my old routine of just, you know, basically being drunk every single night that went on for another six months and then yeah i just my pancreas started hurting again so much and this time it was even worse than before and i went into the doctor and he was like i don't even need to run the tests i'll tell you what this is you have pancreatitis again and he really read me the riot act he was like your life's on the line you realize that like there's no such thing as a there's no cure for pancreatitis like there's nothing they can do like the antibiotics just take down the inflammation if your pancreatitis turns acute that, that you're fucking with your life at that point and it's going to last forever wow. uh, or sorry mine what my or if it if it turns from acute to chronic my bad yeah yeah. and uh i was like oh man so i guess i should quit but he told me this december 15th i was like i mean it's you know it's it's the holidays and my birthday's on the 22nd so i was like i'll just get hammered the whole december and then i'll quit january 1st like a new <laughs> and yeah i got drunk on uh December 18th, 2015, as I, as I want to do. And then I just, it hurt so much. Like overnight, my pancreas hurt so much. I couldn't even sleep. And then I didn't even realize, I guess I had been drunk every day for like six months. I had started getting some symptoms of like the shakes when I wouldn't be drinking and shit. And then, but that night, like, the pancreas hurt so much i knew i was like oh i better take a couple days off and i hadn't taken a couple days off in a very very long time uh and i started getting really bad shakes and then eventually right before bed that second night i had like a full like blackout seizure i had to go to the emergency room wow. from from alcohol withdrawal so a lot of it was like, oh, i want my life to be better and, and things but truthfully once you've had like serious alcohol withdrawal symptoms, you don't ever want to feel those again. Yeah, they're that bad. And that was a big, I was like, I never want to feel this again. So that was a big like motivating factor at the beginning. I, I don't want my pancreatitis hurts like a bitch too. So that got me through the beginning part for sure. Yeah. And man. then, uh, and then, yeah, started the podcast like four months later. Yeah, dude, that's uh yeah, that's a crazy story, man. And like, uh, You've mentioned a few things that I, like, actually want to kind of point out. Like, the one thing is, uh, like, I know that mindset, and I think a lot of people who are addicted are just even, like, people who just have issues with the bad habits. Like, I don't know if I would ever consider myself addicted to anything, but I do have, like, a lot of these issues. But the one thing you said is, like, when you went to the hospital in December, you're just like, yo, like, it's Christmas, like, in two weeks. Like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, how many, like, different um, kind of holidays or events or even just places we actually end up, like, uh, attaching with our addictions, right? Yeah, justifications, right? I mean, addicts will find justifications for anything. And when you're talking specifically drinking, it's like my birthday christmas new year's eve i mean I, it's a joke in my act but i say like these are the this is the playoffs of getting drunk like i can't quit drinking now you know but then you start to remember too you're like well i also make justifications for like well it's saturday or well me and my friends are hanging out well i'm at comedy bar and it's like oh, i make justifications every single day just finding a new one yeah and you also were saying like you were kind of like um i know this like whole feeling of you're making actual like uh oh, like, uh, I'm off of cocaine, so I guess uh, drinking's fine. And, like, there's just so many of those things where you can just toss it over to another addiction. And then, like, when you did that, did the other addiction just go stronger? Or, like, and those go out of control? Or how did that work? To be honest, no. Like, I'd always been a huge drinker, like, since I was, like, 14, uh, 15. So not really. Like, it didn't even shine a light on it more. I for sure started drinking more the very first time I quit cocaine 
which was in my early 20s, I was probably already drinking like, ugh, like drinking for the fences like four, five nights a week. And then when I quit cocaine, I was it was every night for a few months. But again, if you're not getting help for these issues, both like addiction and mental health, you're not aware of how like not normal it is mm-hmm. or not good for you it is. So I thought, well, yeah, I'm trying to get off blow, so I should be drinking more to help with that, not like you know, going to therapy, going to treatment, eating better, exercising, anything like that, and and still keeping it a secret from everybody. And most of all, like I said earlier, like I just thought it was cocaine. I was like, well, yeah, cocaine's addictive, but I'm not an alcoholic. And then it would be like you know six more years before I was like, oh shit, I guess I have a problem with alcohol too. Yeah. And I didn't even refer to myself as an addict, even after multiple bouts of pancreatitis, you know, multiple Coke relapses and smoking weed all day, every day and a pack of smokes and all these coffees and everything else that went into it. And it wasn't until I I had my last hard drug binge that I was like, I'm a fucking addict. Like, I'm the problem here. These aren't specifically these substances. This is me. And is that uh, acceptance of saying, like, hey, this is me, does that actually help with the healing process? Like, you accepted, like, hey, I'm the problem? Oh, yeah, you ha- that's absolutely the – I mean, I don't really follow the 12 Steps program, but that's the first step. Like, I mean, I think it is the first step in the 12 Steps, too, is that you got to admit you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And if other people can't tell you, because other people tried to tell me, tons of other people tried to tell me before – and and until you know it you're not gonna do anything about it and it's you gotta like deep down know it and and what happened with me was i i did mdma which i had done like at times but it was never really my drug because i was i was more just about like blow and and booze and uh and other ones like like magic mushrooms so mdma was never very high up on my list Mm-hmm. Right. And again, at this point, I'm not thinking I'm an addict. I'm thinking these are just the individual substances. So I did MDMA at a bachelor party in the summer of 2016 when I was like about six months off booze. And I hadn't done any hard drugs in a while, too, uh, including Coke. I was over a year off Coke. So I was thinking like, well, I'm not an addict. I, I'm off booze. I'm off. I've been off Coke for over a year now. So then I did MDMA at the bachelor party. And then it was like, OK, like this is all right. I can do MDMA once every few months because complete sobriety to me. I was like, well, that's just not fucking possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, in the fall, like, and again, I, so I go three months without doing MDMA and I was like, see, all right, it's been three months, just like my plan. I'll do some MDMA. And I did it on Halloween. And then I was like, you know, you start making those justifications. I was like, well, I just went three months without it. I could, I had so much fun on Halloween. I'll do it the next weekend. And then I was like, again, I had so much fun. I proved. And then I did it the next weekend. And then it was the next night. And then it was the next night. And then it's like, it was another fucking uh, binge and another bender. And then this time with MDMA. And then at the end of one of those nights, nights, <laughs> like at least at least 42 hours straight, probably longer, mm. just did like eight pills in like a day and a half, just kept chasing it. And then we kind of realized, like, uh, I don't know if uh, you've ever done it or your listeners, but, like, everyone talked about the MDMA the next morning, the come down is very depressing and shit like that. I never really got it. I always felt like, yeah, I feel like shit and uh, my brain feels dead, but it wasn't, like, the way other people described it to me. And then this time I, I was, like, I was just absolutely depressed, uh, really felt like, Oh, I may have altered my brain permanently, mm-hmm. and I was I was pretty down. And then I kind of realized that was an that was a moment where I really truly accepted. Like I was like, it's it's me. Like it's not booze, it's not coke, it's not MDMA, it's not all of these things. Like it's me. Mm, yeah. No, that's a. It seems like a moment of like actual clarity there, and you're just like fuck like yeah i can i can see that and that depression the day after that oh like uh no that's uh very descriptive (laughs) so when it comes to like these relapses like that pattern you just kind of laid out there i've kind of noticed this with uh even when i drink so like i've uh 
quit drinking quite a, a few times as well. And then like a lot of times it happens like you, like uh, I might have a couple drinks uh, one night or even like maybe a few more than I should have. And then I'll be like, all right, whatever. And then I can go like maybe two weeks without it. And then like two weeks, I'll be like, oh, well, no, I had it that day. And I went two weeks, I'll drink again. And then it's like a week after. And then all of a sudden it uh, like it starts spiraling out of control. Is this like a pattern you've noticed with like every time you relapse? Does it kind of work that way? Yes, but I, I've noticed that my relapses are less, uh, they, they don't last as long. So each for for instance with cocaine, I mean when I I very first started doing it when I was 18 and I quit the first time when I was 22. So that was 4 years of doing cocaine. Now it started once every couple months, then it went to like once every weekend and then it went to okay, all weekend and then it went to like all the time for a few months and that's when I had a huge crash. Uh, and then I was kind of like, okay, I got to put Coke away. And then I went again, like a year and a half, two years, and then did it for two months and then went another two years and did it for one month. And then another couple years and did it for uh, a couple weekends. And then that last time was one night, you know? Okay. So, so for me, it's like, it's just a very slow learning curve, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's actually kind of good to hear. Like, uh, you actually kind of got better each time and a little bit more aware almost. So, like, now, like, did you come up with, like, strategies to, like, prevent yourself from relapsing? Like, uh, dealing with, like, uh, your cravings and stuff like that? I mean, for each substance, it's it's been different, right? Because I was getting different kinds of help. And I keep running back to that, too, because, like, I tried to do all this shit by myself and it did not work. So basically, if you look, the more I started looking for help, telling other people, even if they weren't professionals, just friends, the better I would get. So it is like, uh, so when it comes to, like, help, was that pretty much it? Like, talking with other people and just, like, putting your heart out there and just trying to connect with them? It's that, too. It's getting it out, right? I mean, you can't keep all this shit inside. Uh, that starts adding to the problems. But uh, it's also, and I mean, addicts know this, is just having accountability because, unfortunately, you don't have that accountability to yourself. Okay. Especially right at the beginning, you know what I mean? It's You wouldn't be in this position if you cared about yourself the way you're supposed to. Yeah. So you have to tell the people closest to you because you don't want to hurt them more than you don't want to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. At least that's what it was for me. Yeah, man. Uh, no, I, I agree with that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, let's do a little bit of a deep dive into a couple of these other addictions or uh, stuff that you quit because, uh, I find it so fascinating. So like, uh, yeah, I've been doing this uh, podcast for a little bit now, and I, I noticed a lot of people talk about uh, social media on here and saying, like, uh, it seems like a lot of people notice it's, like, has some negative influences in their life. Like, uh, what was your relationship with social media before you uh, decided to do the episode where you quit it, and uh, what kind of experiences did you have when you quit it? For me, the biggest thing with social media, because I, I feel like, and maybe I, I'm probably wrong here because, yeah, it makes me feel like shit a lot, but it's mostly the time spent. Um, it is mostly the when you realize you're like, oh, I'll, you know, just scrolling Facebook. It's one of those things. And it's strange to me how similar it is to other drugs where it's just like you can't believe how fast time just went by. Yeah, yeah. You'll be at the after hours. You got there at 3, 4 a.m. And it's like, holy shit, it's 10 in the morning. And you're just like, that happened in like five minutes, right? And with social media, it's like that. You wake up, uh, you know, you, you open your phone. You see a couple notifications. You open the social media app. You scroll. You see something else. You scroll. You see something else. You look back at the time. You're like, that was an hour. Like, I just started my day with an hour of social media. Yeah, you're you're behind the eight ball. All you know what I mean? And then also, too, it's the way it makes me feel like, obviously, in our industry, it is a necessary evil, which I hate because I wasn't on social media until I started comedy. And it wasn't until I was like a year and a half into comedy. And this headliner was like, oh, you got to you got to let go of this self-righteous shit, man. No one's going to know who you are if you're not on this. Oh, and I was like. <laughs> I was like, really? He was right. I mean, I hate to admit it, but he was right. And and he was like, for it. Then the reason it started, he was like, if you're ever out west, 
Facebook me and I'll get you some gigs. And then I said, oh, I'm not on, uh, I'm not on Facebook. Can I just like text you or email you? And then he was like, no, no, you have to get on Facebook. Like he just right away. And, and he was right. It's true. Uh, it's for self-promotion. And then and, and obviously the Twitter and the Instagram go with it a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. And then when there's multiple apps that you're just scrolling, I mean, it's hours a day, right? And it's we're hours. all supposed to. Yeah, we're all supposed to be writers, and we're all supposed to. I've had I had a day job for a while, so it's like I'm trying to work a nine to five, do stand up comedy. I had another podcast before, so I'm trying to do that podcast. I'm trying to make you know uh, YouTube videos. Sometimes that's already a full plate. You can't throw in hours just mindlessly scrolling on social media, and then it's outside of the time. Yeah, it makes you feel like shit. And that's another similarity I saw with other substances. I remember when I used to post something and I was like, wow, I, I got a hundred likes. It's like, I can't believe I hit the three digits. I'm one of those people now. <laughs> and, then, and then you get a bunch of those and all of a sudden now it's fucking 200 likes is like, well, that's the minimum. And then it's like, yeah, but if it's a big one, I need like 400 likes. That is exactly chasing the dragon. Yeah. Uh, and I hate to admit, but it's because I did quit it for the podcast, but I, I'm struggling with it again, right? I, I see things on social media and I see likes that other comedians got and, and it, and it fucking pisses me off and then makes me feel like shit. I talk about social media and therapy more than I talk about substances at this point. And I hate that it is necessary for standup. And then even looking at other people's likes, I mean... It is a way to monitor how your career is going in a way, which totally fucking sucks. And I don't have like a great answer for a way around it. Like I'm, I'm currently going on more than I like and caring more than I like. And something else that's interesting is I just had a tweet do very well. Like a few days ago it was by far my most successful social media post on any platform ever. Uh, it had like 250 retweets and like 1300 likes which on Twitter is huge numbers yeah. for me, you know? And uh, it did nothing. I was like, oh, shit, I've been chasing this kind of level of, uh, of response on social media. I got it. I felt absolutely nothing. And it really made me feel just the same way I did with substances towards the end when I was like, then what the fuck am I doing this for? Yeah. Now, the only thing is with comedy, you circle back to like, but I have to be on here or people won't know. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm trying to do the thing where I'm like, okay, I just won't scroll. Like my fans know how to get to me. People who like the podcast. Uh, I enjoy Twitter because it's jokes. You know what I mean? Sometimes it will upset me. Like for sure. I can't pretend that it's not, but it's not the same as Facebook uh, or Instagram for some reason. I don't know why. And I also like that Twitter, you know, uh, in the early 2010s was like, hugely responsible for the Arab Spring and, and uh, some of the shit that was going on. Mm-hmm. And, and it, so it can be like more of a force for good and it's not owned by fucking Zuckerberg, like Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I like Twitter a lot better for some of those reasons. And, you know, like I said, you get to consume more like content where Facebook just feels more like, yeah, hey, I'm bragging about this. And Instagram's more like, I'm bragging with this photo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And, uh, yeah, I think a lot of the people I've talked to, too, they kind of agree with that whole, like, you know, there's a great part to uh, social media in the sense that it can connect us, it freaking can do revolutions, like, uh, it can change humanity. It's like, in that sense, it's, uh, like, absolutely amazing. But then, yeah, there's this dark part to it. And then that that chasing the dragon, like you said, with the likes and stuff, like, oh, my God. And you realize... Yeah, you get to 100 and you're just like, yeah, and then like go to the next one and you're just like, what the fuck? I actually uh, just had like, uh, I made a hockey meme and it ended up going viral. And like, uh, I remember at first, like uh, I was just looking at every time I went on, it was like a thousand more views or something. And I was just like, yeah, so I like, but it just took over my life for that like day or two when it was like really starting to go viral and stuff. And it's just like, I constantly kept looking there and then, like, I, you get that dopamine hit every time you, like, see, like, people sharing it and liking it. And you're like, oh, this is so cool. But, you know, af- 
after like a day or two, you're just like that whole like I just get desensitized to it, and then I'm just like, why am I like looking at this shit like? You know, and I'm, I'm wasting so much time. I didn't get fuck all done for those, like, uh, few days it was going viral. It was just because, like, I was just obsessed with this thing where it was just like, no, like, what am I doing? I'm a creator. Like, I want to create. I want to write. I want to do all that stuff. Like, focus on this shit. Like, you know, there's a little bit with, like, having the rewards of, like, some of the stuff that you made. But, like, you can't focus on it. it like, it really becomes bad for your mental health. Um. So when you were quitting, though, like, how, like... Did you notice, like, how much your, like, uh, mind kept going back to your, like, phone? Or, like, when you, like, how much, like, were you, like, getting that urge to, like, look at your phone a lot? And, like, how long did it take for that urge to go away? Oh, yeah. So, I it wasn't very scientific, but I kind of just monitored every time I got the impulse to check social media. And the first day off of it, it was 55. 55? Like, That's uh, more than cigarettes. That's more than alcohol. Like, that's crazy. I, yeah, yeah. It's such a quicker impulse, too, right? It happens so quickly. I mean, I, you can check with your phone social media faster than you can even light a cigarette. And, and it's just reaching into your pocket, taking out a smoke, lighting it. How quick is that? It's even quicker with your phone. And also, cigarettes last about seven minutes, you know, if, if that. And then with social media, most times I flip it on, it's longer than seven minutes, right? So that first day, I was like amazed, was like, holy shit. That was the first time I realized, I was like, how much time am I spending on this? Mm. And then I will say with social media, though, it was like the quickest to kind of go away that I stopped caring. And I felt a huge weight being lifted off me. And I really started feeling the benefits like instantaneously. I was like, I'm more focused. I had more energy. And it was tripping me out how much better I felt. I was like, wow, like, I cannot believe how bad this is for me. Mm -hmm. And I really started noticing that. And then a, a couple of weeks went by and I, and just like with other substances, this is like, oh, okay, I was, I was in a mini version of the pink cloud, which is a thing with addicts. The pink cloud is when you first get off something, you're basically like high on life. Okay. And each time you like beat a craving, you get this like dopamine rush and you're like, I never need that shit. And then eventually it fades and you're, that's when the hard work starts again. Oh, but okay. with social media, I fell out of the pink cloud because, so because of the podcast and this article I wrote for Vice, I, w I went on NBC's Today Show and they emailed me like, hey, uh, we want you to, we want to fly you to New York City to uh, shoot a segment, an interview with uh, Megyn Kelly, who... Oh, uh, oh, yeah, Megyn Kelly. The only part of it that wasn't cool. <laughs> and uh, and then she was like... And then they were like, so we want to fly you here. We'll pick you up at the airport. NBC, like, fucking 30 Rock. I was like, this is incredible. Like, I was... Tell all my friends. You know, I called them. I felt great, like, telling everybody. And then afterwards, there was this bit of a lull that was like noticeable. I was like, wait, why do I feel disappointed all of a sudden? And then I was like, oh shit, I realized, I was like, because I can't go on Facebook and brag about this. I can't oh. tell people like, hey, this week um, I'm on NBC's Today Show and I couldn't like see all of the likes flooding in and shit like that. And I was, because I realized, I was like, this is going to be like, the like relating it to drugs i was like this is gonna be like the pure uncut shit <laughs> i was like and i'm not gonna get it you know what i mean i'm not gonna get to fucking jab <laughs> dude oh man that, that like don't you think that sucks so like uh how our fucking like i hate when i start thinking of a, an experience in my life that's gonna be awesome but I think about it more in the, like, uh, lens of, like, how many likes I'm going to get. Like, oh, I got invited to a festival, like, for comedy. Like, this is going to be awesome. I wonder how many likes this is going to get me. Like, what? Like, dude, you're going to perform in front of, like, a thousand people in a theater. Like, why aren't you just, like, waiting to, like, go and do that experience and actually experience it? Fuck the likes. Like, that part of it really, like, uh, bugs the hell out of me, you know? Yeah, 100, buddy. 100. Like, it's a very, it's one of the quickest thoughts I have when I get something. Like, I got JFL when I was doing the podcast, and I was like, uh, oh shit, 
Uh, even the first time I got JFL in 2009, when I was so shortly on Facebook, it's not the very first thing that I get excited about, but it's in the top five. It goes like, oh, I can't wait to tell my friends and family, my partner, then I can't wait to just feel the crazy rush of it and like fucking all by myself, which is those are the best parts. Those are the and those are the parts that I focus on the most. It's true. But the very next level is I can't wait to fucking see how many likes this get. <laughs> it yeah. It's like that is like it is pretty damn sad, man. You mentioned the dopamine and I can't I also realized too, I was like, oh, I can't lie and say this is all about the career. Like I said earlier, it's a way to monitor how well you're doing and how many fans or whatever you have. And then I realized, I was like, oh, it's not just that. Like, it is like checking, seeing that little red number, opening it, and then seeing the number. And you're like, oh, my God. Each one's a tiny little hit. And like you said, when something does real, uh, something goes really well and it's very popular post or announcement, whatever it is, I check like fucking once every 10 minutes 20 yeah, minutes uh, yeah oh my god and and you just end up wasting days like so it's like when something goes viral which is your goal it ends up like actually kind of hurting your creativity in a way which you're just like god damn it um all right let's uh move on to uh your eating um because like you changed your eating a ton in the last uh five six years so um can you like uh, kind of maybe give us a little bit of uh uh insight into like where you were where your diet was before like this whole podcasting thing happened and the changes you made yeah definitely so i used to weigh 240 pounds that was what i got to at my highest and uh i but i hovered closer to around 220 230 for most of my 20s and it was basically i didn't eat anything that was not pizza or takeout and if it was something i ate at home it was like one of the three meals I could tolerate, and and those were probably like a frozen pizza. Yeah. How much do you weigh now? It's hard without the pandemic because I'm not at the gym, but I think I'm 180, maybe yeah, a little yeah, bit so, less. Like that's a lot of weight you got off. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, a lot of it was cocaine at the beginning. Like when I got to 230, uh, I was doing cocaine like recreationally, like probably once, what like on the weekends, and. Uh, I probably would have weighed all the way to 250 had it not been for cocaine, to be honest with you. And then, you know, I I started doing cocaine more and more to the point was when you're doing it every day, you just don't have an appetite. So I lost in a two month period in 2009, like 20 pounds without even trying. It was all just not eating with cocaine. And that got me to around 210, 215. And then, you know, quick cocaine, and then you put some of it back on, mm -hmm. and then you start doing cocaine again a couple of years later. So, <laughs> unfortunately, my weight was always really tied to alcohol and cocaine. Cocaine because it's an appetite suppressant, and alcohol because, you know, each every beer is like whatever, like 150 calories. And when you're having 12 to 16 beers in a night, before the liquor even comes in and then before the gorge of food at the end of the night comes in, that's like at least 3000 calories you're consuming in a day. Yeah. So basically when I got sober, uh, got sober as in quit drinking alcohol. Um, I kind of just realized I was like, well now I could get in shape. And, and to be honest with you, it was, it was very, um, it was just about aesthetics at the beginning. It was very superficial. I was like, now that I've quit drinking, I could get abs for like the first time in my life. Like I could look like really good mm -hmm. uh, because I noticed I'm always able to lose weight and, and put on weight very quickly. So I was like, well, now let's put like my energy into that. And I started going to the gym all the time. And then when you're going to the gym all the time, you, you're like, well, I don't want to just ruin all this hard work. Right. And uh, I remember the first time I looked at the back of a package of Doritos and I saw 450 calories. Like, I didn't even really know how much, I didn't even know how calories worked, you know? Yeah. But all, all I knew was, like, seeing the calorie burn on the Stairmaster, right? Yeah, and I was, yeah. To get 450 calories on the Stairmaster is, like, that's half an hour. And, and on, on, like, eight, which is eight, <laughs> like, a fast one on the, I was like, I'm going, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm, like, killing myself. Because at the end of, especially when you're not in shape like I was, uh, you know, drenched in sweat. You're just like, oh my god, oh the fuck. 
and I'm doing all that for one small bag of Doritos. And then your brain goes like, well, if it's four fifty for the small one, how much is the big bag of Doritos that I'll eat in one sitting? Yeah. And then you realize you're like, this is supposed to be my entire daily calories is just one big bag of Doritos, which I can sit, I can eat in like half an hour. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then, uh, on my dad's side of my family, uh, overeating is an issue. Weight, weight is an issue for sure. It's in my blood. So yeah, I just started eating better slowly, uh, around then. And it's again, I'll regress sometimes and, uh, I'll still like binge out on like, uh, I'm off dairy right now, but I'll, I'll binge out on like, uh, Ben and Jerry's non-dairy ice cream for sure just eat back to back two pints sometimes but for the most part i i do still eat very clean because i just feel so much better and it's just everything when i start my day with just like some eggs and a banana and then go work out and then have a smoothie the how much better i'm able to work like creatively is is just it's day and night versus just waking up with uh, you know, a belly full of pizza that I had at three a.m., and then shitting on the toilet like nine times before, like <laughs> before I've even been able to get my day started. <laughs> yeah. And I talk to my therapist about this all the time, not to sound like Joe Rogan or anything over here, but I, I I debate with her. I'm like, it starts with what I'm putting in my body, and she's like, I agree, it's important, but you know, I think monitoring your thoughts and and the other good work you've been doing. And I could feel her saying, like, no, 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 it's not as it, I'm like, and I tell her, I was like, I don't know. I I feel I feel like it's easier to control my thoughts and all of those things when I am eating cleaner. Yeah. No, I, I can understand that. Um, so when you like so in the episodes you did uh a month off of red meat, a month off of dairy, and a month off of sugar, am I right with that? So with the podcast, each one continued over. So like for the the podcast, I quit weed for a year, caffeine for 11 months, uh, biting my nails for 10 months. So each one was like descending because they were all continuous. Okay. So the red meat was for about six months. The dairy was for about five months. And both of those, I'd say since the podcast ended, for the most part, I have really learned to moderate with. And actually specifically with both of those, I'm, I'm off them again entirely right now. It's been about two months. Because I just feel so much better when I'm not eating. I fucking love dairy. I love pizza more than everything we've talked about. <laughs> oh, nice. Everything we've talked about pizza <laughs> more. And I just, I can't do it anymore. It's just, I get too depressed afterwards. And Chasing the Dragon, all the stuff we've talked about with dairy, it's right there. But it's so accepted in society. And it doesn't hurt you as much in the moment. So I, I can just really go off with it. So, and sugar was a full three months. And, and then, like I said, I, I, I applaud myself for how well I'm doing with it instead of getting down of like, oh, well, and again, I'm off specifically chips and candy right now, but I used to be like, oh man, I just had a bag of cherry blasters last night. What am I doing? I, you know, and then that'll lead to a whole week of it Yeah. where right, right before I quit them again, this most recent time, uh, two months ago, I was kind of realizing, I was like, it's okay. Like, it's okay that I'm having you know, a Sunday night where, yeah, I went crazy. I had, I ordered a pizza and then I had chips and candy. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's okay. It's not okay that I did it necessarily. It's okay that it happened that one time. And I can't just let that bleed into tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Yeah. That's a healthy way, way healthier, uh, mindset. One thing I've noticed too, with, uh, like any times, like you got to really be like, give yourself some love. Like uh, when shit like that happens, like rather than like really beating yourself up and like, which ends up like putting you in a depressed state, like you got to be like, all right, it happened. And like, yeah, give yourself a little love and that will actually make you make better decisions like going forward. So no, that's, uh, that's impressive. Like, can I ask, so when you did like, cause I know sugar, like uh, even when I like stop sugar for small periods of time, like. I feel like sugar does have like almost a withdrawal symptom to it. Like it, it feels like that. What do you, um, what do you think with sugar and like, does, uh, red meat and dairy even compare to that? Uh, no, not the physical withdrawal symptoms. Like, especially like 
Uh, I never noticed withdrawal from dairy, certainly not from red meat. Uh, mentally, like, I missed them. I did notice the binge aspect of it with dairy. Like, you get a hit of ice cream, you want more. But mm-hmm. the, a lot of that's the sugar, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, but it was more with dairy specifically. It was after I'm done, I feel that same depression. Like, oh, well, the dopamine's gone. Like, this sucks. And they've done studies on it, too. There's, um, there's chemicals in dairy that, that are uh, addictive, like clinically addictive. With sugar, it was a whole different thing, though. Like you said, I didn't, I didn't think it would be like that. I had a, that first day off sugar, it was at the end of the night. I was like, that first day was like, okay, you know, it's more mental. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, I wish I could, you know, have some barbecue sauce or even, you know what I mean, with my, because I basically, I just made two eggs, put some onions in it, had my sugar-free vegan smoothie for lunch. And then dinner was chicken breasts and vegetables. And I was like, all right, I feel great. I mean, mentally I'm missing, you know, some of the shit. And then around like 11 p.m. that night, it was just like a headache that was worse than caffeine withdrawal. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And it lasted like the entire next day and into the next day too. It was shocking. I didn't think that would happen. And it it hurt. It was like a really bad headache. And I obviously felt like very lethargic too. And then you start doing the thing where you forget one day at a time. You're like, oh, my God, it's going to be three straight months of this. And it's like, well, it's not going to be three months all at the once. <laughs> it's going to be just today is going to suck. And then the next day. And then it starts to suck a little less. And by the time it's just a part of your habit. And, and then you don't even miss it anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with sugar, though, you, you definitely feel those physical withdrawal symptoms. It, it's crazy. And then you, you get the mental ones, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Damn, man. You got a lot of balls fucking doing this whole, uh, like, this whole experiment. That's like, uh, I know I couldn't imagine how, like, mentally tough it is. Um, so I actually, I wanted to talk about, uh, like, your addictions and creativity, like, uh, how those two interact. Uh, just because, like, uh, I know you're, like, you're a fucking awesome comic, and uh, I always see you around, and um, I, I've also had my uh, issues with, like, alcohol and uh, creativity, and, like, I noticed when I quit alcohol, I did it, uh, like, so I, I've done, like, uh, three-month periods of quitting alcohol a few times in the last uh, few years, and, like, every time I do that, I go on the best writing streak of my life, and, like, I write so many new bits, and, like, my comedy just goes through the roof and stuff, and I always had this fear in my head, like, if I quit alcohol, like, I'm gonna get less funny or something like that, and the same with, like, weed and shit, too, like, uh, did you ever have that fear? And, like, uh, what what did you notice when you started, like, uh, taking control of your addictions when it came to your creativity? So I think now would be a good time to talk about like, just becoming aware of your thoughts is going to – because you think you're aware of your thoughts, but it's not to the level that it should be. And I, I shouldn't say you are. At least with me, it wasn't to the level that it should be. I wasn't aware of why I was doing things I was doing. Or what thoughts were going through my brain, right? So uh, in regards to, I for sure thought I would be less funny when I quit weed. I for sure thought I would be less funny when I quit drinking. And then when you start to trying to outthink those thoughts, you remember the amount of times you swore that you weren't going to drink before a show anymore because you got too drunk and it went poorly. Yeah, yeah. Or the amount of times you were like, oh, I got to stop getting high before a set because I forgot this joke entirely and my timing was off. And then you start to remember those more and more. And then also you realize how much these addiction voices in your head, they're, they're just like shady lawyers. They're just trying to trick you. They're trying to do anything they can to get you to use. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it's back to like I was saying at the beginning, everywhere I go, there I am. You know, I'm the problem. It's I've, I've had streaks where, yeah, I was, holy shit, man. I just killed every set I've done for like three months. And I was in the throes of a crazy bender. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then there's other times where I'm like, yeah, I've been on those streaks where I was like sober. I had to remind myself because every now and again, you know, I still will do that. Like, oh, shit. I wasn't funny tonight because of the sobriety. And it's like, that's not it. You weren't funny tonight because of you. Yeah, yeah. 
Just the same way I used to say, like, I wasn't funny tonight because I'm such an alcoholic. And it's like, no, that don't do those things. You know what I mean? It was a bad stand-up set or a, sta- a set that's not up to your standards. Feel that and use it as motivation. But don't go blame it on anything else. I noticed my creative uh, output be so much better since I, I've quit uh, weed a- and drinking. And it's strange how, like, hand-in-hand hand they go because there's times even where I've had to to say like, uh, you know, I'm staring at the laptop for like three hours straight without any weed in my system. And I was like, oh, I was blaming this on weed before and it, and it really wasn't weed. It's just me not starting, you know what I mean? Basically just looking for something to blame. And it is easier without weed to get motivated and it is easier without alcohol to think clearly and as far as in general the creativity goes i do think it's it's mostly just about finding that creative spark and you know what with drugs and alcohol it can be easier sometimes it truthfully can be i'm not gonna pretend it's not because you don't have to fight through maybe that self-doubt and everything else but you have to fight through the laziness or the oh i'd rather just get drunk right now Mm -hmm. and then with sobriety you just have to fight through that like maybe like oh why am i so bored right now get through that boredom and you'll start to feel the sparks of oh shit that was really funny or oh that was a good note if you're a musician so there's different challenges they both present but in general i I felt like i've become a much better comedian since i quit drinking and and quit doing drugs and with weed to be honest with you not much of a change it's about the same i'm i'm pretty much the same in a lot of respects with weed or without weed okay so uh, weed might have been like the kind of drug that kind of had the least impact on you. Would would you say that, or what do you think? Ooh, that's a great question. Financially, certainly not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I used to smoke like an ounce a week for a couple of years there, which is a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I talk about that in therapy a lot as well, specifically weed, because. Uh, I, I I mean, weed was huge for me. I had undiagnosed PTSD for like fucking since I was a kid. And without and I remember how markedly different I felt when I started smoking weed in my late teens. I was like, oh, I I actually I'm not you know, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, I don't have these fucking feelings as intensely and as often as anymore oh. now. But weeds, you know, just like anything else. But then you become a pothead and, and it's too much of a trade-off. You're like, well, I don't have any of those thoughts anymore. But I also don't leave the house anymore. You know what I mean? There was a year in my life when I was 21 where it was it. My whole life was comedy, weed, and my girlfriend. Like, if my friends wanted to see me, they had to come to my house and smoke weed with me. Mm-hmm. But all I did was, like, play N64 and do my sets and... uh and and hang out with my girlfriend and i would high when i hang out with her too and and that's not a good way to live so i don't know to be honest with you like weed is obviously legal in canada right now because it is beneficial in so many different respects i think maybe sometimes people don't appreciate you're still inhaling smoke and that's not good no matter what that smoke is yeah you know what i mean it's like oh, well yeah. weed, weed reduces inflammation well it doesn't uh, tar in your lungs isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it doesn't reduce it in your lungs that's true <laughs> yes uh and your throat too um so i i i i probably will smoke weed again before i'm dead i know that uh, i've kind of put weed into this good spot where i'm like anytime things get too tough now that's what i'm looking for for my big relapse and that's way better to relapse on than alcohol or hard drugs yeah true that yeah, damn, dude. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty uh, inter- interesting. Um, all right, buddy, uh, this is the name of the podcast. We're almost done here. Uh, so I got to ask you, bud, uh, God, yay or nay? Now, does that mean, do I believe in God or is it my feelings towards God if I do believe in God? Oh, uh, actually, I want to hear uh, both of those. Uh, do you believe in any type of God? And, like, honestly, like, uh, one thing since I started this podcast, like, everybody has their own definition of what it is that they do believe. Um, and, uh, 
like so like i've noticed nobody has ever said they believe in some sort of like person in the sky fucking watching our lives and judging us like it doesn't seem like that idea of gods in our in our culture anymore or at least for our younger people right um but yeah man like uh do you have any idea of what uh, kind of god is or anything like that imagine an omnipotent uh being that created the entirety of the cosmos the multiverse anything you can think of was created by this one entity and it is highly invested in whether or not we jerk off that's not a fucking thing that's not a fucking thing that exists imagine it's that this god thing is that smart and that benevolent while still being that fucking petty to be like but I'm going to make the thing that feels the best for you the only thing you can't fucking do. No, that's, no. I Nay on that God. I, I you know, not to sound like half the uh, women on dating apps in this city, but uh, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Because, yeah, uh, I just watched Interstellar last night. I love that movie. Great movie. And, yeah, there's a part where Anne Hathaway is trying to convince... Matthew McConaughey, that love is uh, a tangible thing, not just something created for social utility. And Matthew McConaughey says it's for child rearing, it's for it serves a purpose. And then he says it's for social utility. And then Anne Hathaway says, You love people that are dead right now. Where's the social utility in that? Ooh. So the things that love has given the world and creates, it does feel like that isn't something that just happened through uh when we climbed out of the you know the ooze and evolved into these things and then we created this idea of love it does feel like for how big the universe is because it's inconceivably big you can try and think about it but you no human mind can truly wrap its head around how fucking vast the universe is all of that and everything else I don't know if it, I don't think it's one being, but I think it is somehow connected. It is there is something going on. That's mm. that's basically how I feel right now. Like, you know, I I can't even put it into words, but there there's something going on. That's what I would say. All right, man. Uh, yeah, great answer, buddy. And yes, there is something going on. <laughs> yeah, and I, think, uh, <laughs> I think a lot of us uh, have that kind of feeling, and uh, you definitely uh, described my feeling as well. Uh, all right, man. So we're pretty much done. Um, uh, give a quick, uh, give a quick piece of advice for like uh, people who are struggling with bad habits right now, or even like a, a addiction. Um, yeah, just a quick piece of advice because it seems like you have so much uh, knowledge on this field now. Listen to my podcast, Alex Wood quits everything. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, for sure, it's the same thing because I that's that's usually the last question I ask on my podcast too, and everybody says some version of the same thing usually, and it is it's get help. Uh, it is, it's get help. You, you have to get some kind of help and you have to ask for it and you have to not be ashamed to ask for it because nobody gets through that shit just alone, white knuckling it, teeth clenched. That doesn't work long term. I'm a case study in that. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? I didn't truly quit my vices and feel, uh, differently until I started going to meetings, asking friends for help. And then I found out with my issues, even that wasn't enough. And it's been therapy over the past 18 months where I've turned another corner and I, I'm not nervous about substances anymore. It wasn't until therapy I truly started feeling like this shit's in my rearview mirror. Yeah. All right, man. Get help. That's uh, great advice. And yeah, I think that's, uh, like you said, yeah, it's something like you have to be vulnerable and like actually be like, hey, like I need some help. And it seemed like like you said, when you found that out, like when you actually admitted and accepted that you had an issue, that's kind of when you started being like, all right, I'm going to go get some help. Uh, all right, man. Uh, let uh, the people know uh, where they can find your podcast. Uh, let us know about anything else you want to promote. And uh, you do have a, you're writing a book. Uh, maybe, I don't know if that's coming out anytime soon or anything, uh, but you can let people know about that as well. Yeah, cool. It comes out just under a year from now. It's with Arsenal Pulp. Uh, they're a publishing house out in uh, Vancouver, and their imprint, uh, Robin's Egg, it's going to be called Float Like a Butterfly, Drink Mint Tea, How I Quit Everything. 
Oh, what a wonderful name. <laughs> I love that. And it's about my podcast and boxing, because I, I don't even know how I didn't mention boxing and <laughs> this whole thing, but that was a huge part of my sobriety. And then my podcast, Alex Wood Quits Everything, is on all the streaming platforms. And Wood Comedy, Wood like my last name, and then Comedy, all one word, is pretty much my Twitter, my Instagram, everything. All right, buddy. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. This was fun. Hey, everybody, that was this week's episode. Thank you so much uh, for listening. I appreciate the support. The best way you can uh, support this podcast is by going on to Apple or iTunes and rating this podcast. Um, If you give it a good rating and leave a nice comment, honestly, that's the best way to do it. Uh, Please check me out on Instagram or uh, YouTube under Newer Kidwife. I'm constantly going to be sharing clips of this podcast and also uh, telling you when new episodes are out and sharing a little bit of my comedy. So thank you so much uh, and uh, tune in to another episode next time on God, yay or nay.